started and we are recording. All right. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Bitcoin and the American Dream. Bitcoin for policymakers. Bitcoin Tech Talk issue number 271. If you haven't heard, we have launched a Kickstarter for a Bitcoin policy book. The Kickstarter ends on Tuesday midnight Eastern time, so please hurry if you would like to back us. In this edition of the newsletter, I wanted to summarize what we wrote about as a way to give you an idea of what we're trying to do. The book was conceived as a way to educate policymakers. As we learned over the summer, legislators and policymakers don't know very much about the Bitcoin community and the provisions that got passed in the infrastructure bill clearly did not take this growing constituency into account. As they found out, this is not a quiet constituency and there was quite a bit of confusion in DC over what Bitcoin users wanted. Eight of us got together in Austin to give these policymakers a better idea of who they were dealing with. We decided after a good deal of prep work that the heart of this argument had to be about the American dream, hence the title. We wanted to give the policymakers a good look into what, who we were and why so many people in the U.S. have chosen to buy Bitcoin. We began the book in the first chapter with answers uh, to some obvious questions like what is Bitcoin and what the values of Bitcoin holders are. We decided to contrast the current monetary system and Bitcoin with respect to American values. We argued that Bitcoin better reflects the ideals of this nation. In the second chapter, we describe the Bitcoin voter. We show how Bitcoin users are not just a bunch of anarcho-capitalist crypto nerds, but also blue-collar workers, marginalized minorities, and military veterans, among other groups. The third chapter goes into savings, particularly how unfair it is that wealthy people have an unfair advantage given their access to real estate and our early-stage startups. We then show that Bitcoin is much more fair and useful now for all Americans. In the fourth chapter, we show how marginalized minorities are using Bitcoin. For example, a lack of property rights historically have prevented generational wealth in the black community. We also include how many different groups have used Bitcoin's permissionlessness to their benefit. We compare Wall Street to Main Street in the fifth chapter and argue that Bitcoin is money for Main Street. We talk a lot about corporate welfare and how that hurts America and how Bitcoin gives small businesses a more level playing field. We continue in the sixth chapter along those lines, showing how Bitcoin will empower rural communities. Bitcoin is one of the few jobs that are moving from China to the U.S. instead of the other way around, for example. We discuss the national security implications in the seventh chapter and the different approaches various countries have taken. For example, we take a critical look at what China has done and why they're proceeding on the CDB, CBDC path as an authoritarian state. We explain how the U.S. will be much more competitive on the global landscape as a result of embracing Bitcoin. Finally, in the eighth chapter, we give some solid policy goals for Bitcoin, including treating Bitcoin as a currency and approving Bitcoin investment vehicles. The point of the book is that whether they agree or disagree with various positions, it should give a solid basis of understanding for policymakers. 
As a diverse group of authors who got into Bitcoin from all walks of life, we would love to have you back us in our effort. So this is sort of like a, a way to describe what we did and why we're doing it and hopefully how it will change uh, the discourse around Bitcoin and hopefully the legislation that comes out of it. Um, it's a, it's very much a bipartisan effort. Well, not, not even bipartisan. It's like we have Republicans, Democrats and independents and people, uh, you know, that, that weren't necessarily that involved in politics and so on. So, um, it's a very diverse crew and you could see it from our picture on the Kickstarter. Um, you know, we, we have people from all walks of life, all races, geographic locations and everything else. So, that's the idea. We want we want to present a sort of like a, you know a, a, an explanation of who Bitcoin users are, and it's not who Washington thinks we are. So uh, if you are interested, please uh, please help with this by um, supporting our Kickstarter. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin. Jeremy Rubin writes about decentralized mining pools using payment pools. The big idea here is that each block would reward similarly mined blocks in the past and not pay itself. The block itself would get some rewards from future blocks and so on. The idea is very interesting because the mining pool doesn't have to be very big and still get the benefits of variance reduction from all other mining pools that participate in this pay it backward system. The main problems I see are bootstrapping, what happens with the very first block and where do those rewards go, and the problem of what happens if no blocks are mined for the specific window. The variance reduction method is truly innovative, and I applaud Jeremy for thinking outside the box, even if the details aren't there yet. So this is part of his Bitcoin Advent series, and uh, and he, he has this very interesting idea of uh, using mining rewards to pay previous blocks that had something similar. That way, you're essentially pooling um, the payments in a very decentralized way. So you, uh, you can be part of a very tiny pool, but as long as you find a block, you'll you'll reduce variance because you'll get paid out in blocks that are coming in the future and so on. Um, there there are a bunch of uh, details that need to be worked out, but it, this is actually really interesting, um, and at, at least from my perspective, because this is a different model than the current system of pooled mining where you have sort of a central controller that distributes shares and stuff like that. All right, uh, a new paper comes up with a way to do distributed key generation. Previously, it wasn't possible to generate a private key asynchronously that's not known to any single participant. The particularly useful part of this algorithm is that it requires no coordinator or central entity that communicates with each node, but still manages to generate a private key. Given that Bitcoin is researching various threshold signature schemes, this type of research is essential in getting more interesting and useful tools out there. Yeah, so um, th this is from the University of Illinois, and uh, I, I think there was like three researchers that uh, wrote this paper. Uh, but very interesting idea that you can do distributed key generation. Um, it is something like music, except without some coordinator in the middle that's distributing things or whatever. Um, instead, you, you have some robustness by being able to communicate directly peer to peer and so on. And they demonstrated this by having 128 nodes in the scheme and 
them generating a particular key. And if you do have something like that, well, you, you can actually do some interesting things with it. Um, you know, distributed key generation is actually one of those things that you need in cryptography quite often. All right, Porter explains what a seed phrase is and Phil Geiger opines on how they should be secured. Both posts are from Unchained Capital and they give a lot of insight into why the phrase itself needs to be secured and not just the hardware wallet. The post is particularly enlightening in how it explains what happened with Trezors, which locked down particular BIP32 pass and caused a lot of wallets to be unable to sign after a firmware upgrade. So, um, you know, they their argument here is that you need to secure the seed phrase itself and not just the device containing the seed phrase. Um, so wh whatever device is containing your private key, um, you, you're somewhat subject to the software that the hardware uh, manufacturer will write or the firmware or whatever. Um, so like keeping it on a piece of paper where you have, or in your brain or whatever is an important part of, uh, of securing your funds. Because in a sense, if you're locked down to Trezor or something like that, and they don't allow signing on a particular path, then you're kind of restricted. So I thought that was a good bit of insight there. Summer of Bitcoin 2022 is taking applications. This is an excellent program for those that want to get into core development. This year, they also have a design track which should add better UX, hopefully throughout the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, so interesting uh, program from Chaincode Labs. I think they did it last year. This is in lieu of sort of their residency. Well, not in lieu of the residency. This is an addition to the residency. Um, the idea is that it's kind of like a summer of code that Google used to do or maybe is still doing. Uh, but this is uh, purely based on Bitcoin and it's all about um, getting more people into core development. Um, I also uh, like that they have a designer track. Um, not enough designers really are in Bitcoin. And this is, uh, you know, I, I mean, as many have come in and they've improved UI, UIs tremendously. So um, having more of them, I think, would be an excellent thing. All right, let's talk about Lightning. Andreas, Lalu, and Renee have published their book, Mastering the Lightning Network. This book, much like Andreas's previous book, is also available on GitHub for free. This is a monumental achievement, and the three of them deserve a ton of credit. I really hope they update this book as Schnorr, Taproot, and any Preval change stuff at the protocol level. So uh, they, they've released uh, this book, and um, I, I didn't know until today when Renee uh, was tweeting about uh, very uh, various things that he, was, he actually started on the book, and then Andreas and Lalu approached them to combine it with their efforts, and um, and that's that's why you have three authors on this book. But great job. Um, I, I need to order a copy <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like go read it and understand it uh, at a deeper level. All right, T-Bast explains how Taproot changes a bunch of things in Lightning. The most obvious change is that Musig lets you fund Lightning channels without any on-chain multisig, making the transaction indistinguishable from a normal pay-to-Taproot spend. Slightly less obvious is the fact that a lot of scripts in Lightning now can be expressed much easier as tap scripts in a two-element tap tree. Finally, Taproot lays down the framework by which PTLCs, point time lock contracts, can replace HCLCs, hash time lock contracts. 
worth reading to see what we can expect to see in the next few years. So, uh, Bastian Tainterier, I, I can never pronounce uh, T-Bass' actual name, um, wrote this post on his GitHub, uh, but basically uh, talks about all the upgrades to Lightning that Taproot enables. Uh, certainly, the, the music thing is a nice security benefit because you have no idea that it's a payment channel on chain. Um, and, you know, like when it resolves, it, it just sort of resolves. Uh, although you could probably tell by like if, if it's like, a, um, you know, a non-cooperative close or something like that, because there will be like a time lock in there. But uh, but regardless, there, there's a bunch of upgrades that we get and uh, you don't have to have these very complicated scripts anymore. You, you just have uh, tap scripts that are much easier to reason about. Um, so great for developers. All right, LM Markets covers the Turbo Channels in their always informative newsletter. Turbo Channels channels are essential are currently used by many Lightning Wallet providers and are essentially payment channels funded by a zero confirmation transaction. The post goes into the trade-offs and why wallet providers do this. The post definitely shows why the UX for a lot of Lightning Wallets is so smooth. So they're using Turbo Channels as a way to make everything a lot smoother. Um, like the, the security around that is a little bit, uh, you know, you give up a little bit on security for a better user experience and so on, um, which which in of itself is uh, is an interesting thing. But yeah, you can, you're essentially opening like zero confirmation channels and that that's what they're all doing um, or many of them are doing. So interesting read um, and definitely you, you should definitely look at it if you're into lightning collider argues that lightning is perfect for algorithmic traders the main benefit for traders is the speed at which funds can be moved around particularly to margin positions at exchanges lightning allows traders to not have to keep as large a buffer on each exchange but use the network to transfer the coins as necessary. There's a bit of irony here, since liquidity was the inspiration behind one of Lightning's competitors. And that competitor, of course, is Liquid. Um, and you know the, the name Liquid even like is pointing towards the idea that traders could do this on their network instead of Lightning. What Collider is arguing is, well, Light, Lightning actually can kind of do this a little better. So um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But... I would love to see more uh, more of these exchanges implement Lightning so this sort of thing can become uh, a bigger thing. Economics, engineering, etc. John Vallis reflects on Bitcoin God and consciousness. This po the post is long and largely philosophical, but sheds significant light on why Bitcoin has a tendency to cause inquiries in other parts of life. As John points out, money being a fundamental part of communities has significant relation to God and consciousness. The post goes to uh, Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning, Rationality, and Meaning. Uh, the post is a good example of how deep the rabbit hole in Bitcoin really goes. So it's kind of a, a, a very philosophical post, uh, but I think it's worth reading and understanding why Bitcoin sort of just opens up so many different lines of inquiry. And we, we have like... A large group of like basically Bitcoin philosophers now, right? Like the Robert Breedloves, John Vallises, and Alan Farringtons of the world that are that are thinking about things in a very different way uh, as a result of exploring Bitcoin. Um, and that that's uh, that's definitely a thing which uh, which I really appreciate. 
Nicholas Weaver completely destroys the Web 3.0 narrative around Ethereum. As he explains, there are several things you currently need for participating on the distributed web, including a domain and a server. Web 3.0 doesn't obviate this need, but rather adds a significant layer of complexity for no obvious benefit. The point being that the Web 3.0 infrastructure is just Web 2.0 with tokens, which benefit the token creators and not any of the users. In other words, it's a scam. Um, I, I thought the article was very good in laying out like there's no need for these tokens. And this is something that I've been saying over and over for many years now. Uh, you don't need a token, right? Like uh, if you're going to build Web 3.0, it's better done on Lightning. That means that instead of having a domain name, you can uh, connect direct peer to peer and know the public address and stuff like that. Um, and you can run your own sort of uh, domain name server on your own and run your own. Uh, like it, it, it's so much that that's a completely different model. Uh, the This Ethereum Web 3.0 narrative is complete bunk. It's it's it doesn't add anything. Jeff Van Drew explains how to invest in Bitcoin in your IRA. The post gets into the weeds of U.S. tax law and goes into detail about the strategy Unchained uses to put Bitcoins into an IRA. If, if you are using the IRA vehicle for Bitcoin investing, this is worth taking a look to understand the implications of the recent McNulty case. Uh, so Jeff Andrew has been doing sort of self-directed Bitcoin IRAs for a while. If you are in the U.S. and you have retirement uh, funds uh, and you want it in Bitcoin, I think this is the best way to do it because you have self-custody and so on. Banning mining has moved a lot of miners elsewhere, but not everyone. Uh, it seems that there's still a significant number of miners that chose to stay in China despite the ban. They are obviously operating illegally, but perhaps this is the best they can do since moving the equipment abroad is bound to be expensive and the sale of equipment is likely to be puny compared to the gains that they can make mining. Uh, so it, we, we had an interesting situation post-China ban where, uh, you know, a, a lot of people were leaving, a lot of miners were leaving, um, the ones that could afford to, but there's a significant number that couldn't afford to. And if they sold the equipment on the market, they got sort of like below market rates or like the ROI on a lot of these machines was like, you know, a few months. So it, it didn't make sense to do that. Instead, they just continued to operate illegally, at least according to Chinese law. So um, there's a significant amount, according to that article, something like 20 percent of world hashing power is still in China. So. Um, you know, uh, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic that we get to watch in real time. Keep it simple. Bitcoin has an excellent primer on BISC. I confess I haven't used BISC before, but the idea is great for those that are wondering how they can exchange BTC for fiat money without an exchange that will inevitably require some KYC AML restriction. So um, I, I know a lot of people that do use BISC to exchange uh, as needed. Um, and that's uh, certainly a way to do it that that works really well. Um, so, yeah, go take a look if you are interested in exchanging Bitcoin for dirty fiat. Ledin has a Bitcoin-backed mortgage product. This will be really nice for Bitcoin holders that want homes but don't want to sell their Bitcoins. Essentially, Bitcoin can be leveraged for real estate, which is an interesting play, though, as with any sort of leverage, there's some risk of loss. So essentially what they let you do is 
uh, back a mortgage using Bitcoin. So you put like 100% of the home's price in Bitcoin in some sort of custody uh, with them. And so, uh, and they they lend you the the dollars or whatever as a result, and you go and buy the home, and you pay interest on this uh, on a continuous basis, and that way you have the home, uh, and you're paying only sort of like the interest payments on it. Um, very interesting product. Um, you know, uh, I I imagine for a lot of Bitcoin holders that makes sense. Some quick hits. You can now travel the world using Lightning. So, uh, you know, there, there have been lots of people that have traveled the world using uh, Bitcoin, but OpenNode um, is, has partnered uh, with, with uh, someone to help you use Lightning to go buy everything that you need abroad. So uh, interesting idea. Progressive Bitcoiners should look at this. It's a it's a bunch of. Uh, it's a website that's uh, geared towards them and how Bitcoin helps in all sorts of ways. Let's see. Myanmar anti-junta groups are using Tether instead of USD. Um, very interesting that Tether seems to be this in-between step between dollarized to Bitcoinized where they're going uh, sort of more digital and outside the purview of the U.S. government a little bit. Um, and, and then like going towards the more digital stuff seems that that's what a lot of human rights groups are probably going to go towards as well. Some stake stake humor. It's a it's a research article about the proof of stake S.T.E.A.K. Uh, it's it's kind of funny, I thought. Another week, another bug in a Turing vulnerable smart contract. This one for $32 billion. So this is on Ethereum. I think it's got, there's a contract with like 8 million Ethereum or something like that. And it's trapped and unable to be sent or spent. So uh, it, it requires a hard fork. We'll see what Vitalik does, but that's that's a lot of money. Uh, all right, so some events. I am planning to be in London for Advancing Bitcoin March 3rd or 4th, um, and hopefully I can get in. I'm also going to be in, uh, at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami April 6th to 8th, and I will be doing the programming blockchain seminars right before both events. Um, some podcasts and stuff. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Jason Lowry about the Space Force and his theory that proof of work is a substitute for military expenditure. I haven't done a podcast this long before, so please provide feedback if you want to see more long-form podcasts like this. So that was like two and a half hours, and I could have probably gone for another hour or so. Uh, he's got some very interesting ideas, and he brings a very different perspective given his military background and you know subversion of the um, you know controlling authority and things like that, uh, and his ideas around like social coordination versus fighting. I found it absolutely fascinating. I'll have to have him on again at some point. But if you like that, please let me know so I can, uh, I can you know, record more stuff like that. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find, and I continue talking to Robert Breedlove on the What Is Money show about democracy, fiat money, and war. Uh, so you know, I we continued uh, in talking about natural law and things like that. Um, and, you know that. You know, long form conversations are what Robert's uh, very good at. So uh, you'll you'll see there there's still more coming. I was on winging it to talk about thank God for Bitcoin, um, which is now 
my second newest book. Uh, the newest one is obviously this uh, this new one, uh, Bitcoin and the American Dream. All right, my other books are Programming Bitcoin and The Little Bitcoin Book. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I am, an, I am an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchained.com. Fiat the Lenda S, this song is done.